The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Clemens Hoffman. Each week we will discuss tools, tips, and ways to radiate your best life ever, interviewing practitioners, authors, and luminaries to help you on your path. Wellness, joy, peace, abundance. What do you want to radiate? Hi, welcome back to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. Today, we radiate courage with Jack Adam Weber, who is the author of Climate Cure, Heal Yourself to Heal the Planet. And of course, we're recording this today and on Earth Day, it's April 22nd. So Jack, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. I feel like it is so fortuitous that so I don't know auspicious that we're recording on Earth Day and neither one of us you know that neither one of us registered with that when we set the appointment for today so we both just realized today oh yeah today's Earth Day so climate cure heal yourself to heal the planet what a beautiful what a beautiful book I've got so many questions about it but um so let's start with Oh, there it is. There it is. Those of you watching on YouTube get to see this. And okay, and I just have to acknowledge, Jack, you look like you're coming at us from a box, but you're in your camper. Right. So appropriate. Yep. Yeah. And this is the camper that you that you live in? Yeah, I, I live out of this and uh and I have a, a little trailer hut um over behind me and it's just part of the way i enjoy living and i also make it a point to live like this because i feel it's adaptive and it's um uh walking the 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 climate cure talk absolutely decreasing your carbon footprint and living the way that you that you prefer to live in harmony correct the climate cure um i know there's a story behind it and we'll get to the story behind it but why did you why did you write this book Mm. i wrote the book out of inspiration and i am a passionate poet i write a lot of poetry 
And I had been working on a collection of poems for the climate crisis titled Rebirth. And I talked to you a little bit about that collection. It's just been released today. It's on my website. Um, and I'm absolutely thrilled about this collection of poems. So I began, so I was working on that collection of poems about six years ago. And I began to write an introduction for that collection of poems. And that introduction just kept getting longer and longer and longer. And five years later, I ended up with Climate Cure. And so I divorced it from the poems, but I had some poems interspersed. And um, so it, it that the, the both works were were birthed out of my love of the natural world, my love of the planet, practicing natural medicine as I do, and really taking on realizing that the earth needed to be my patient and and in a way, all of our patients. so so the book is really about just how to steward the planet and how to become the kind of person that's willing to make some sacrifices and to live a life more in harmony with where we need to go. Oh my gosh, that, that is, that is wonderful because um, I, I love this idea of like nurturing and taking care of the planet. You know, we were talking in the, before we started recording that I was making a, a, a parallel between taking care of the body and taking care of the earth at both as vessels that help us achieve our, our goals, our purpose, et cetera, carry us through the planet. But, you know, making some sacrifices. Sometimes we make a sacrifice to take care of our bodies. We cut out things that don't agree with us or not healthy for us. We make sacrifices in, um, you know, drinking more water or doing things that are nourishing for the body, exercise, et cetera. And then we make sacrifices as well for the planet. And this can be very healing. Yeah. Can I can I respond to that a bit? Please I, do. I, I really I really appreciate your bringing the body into this. And and you know, in my work, I call our bodies walking, talking chunks of earth. Right. Just because we're we're like part of the earth, we just don't realize it. And I really appreciate your um, elaborating a bit on the on on the notion of sacrifice. And in our privileged culture right it's like nobody wants to sacrifice anything and and lord knows like at the you know what we hope is the tail end of the pandemic when people have you know felt you know a lot more stressed it's like nobody wants to sacrifice anything and so i like to reframe sacrifice you know the word sacrifice actually is related to the word sacred and they come from the same root so to sacrifice is to make sacred. And when you, you know, minim, minimalizing, as we talked about at the beginning of the, the discussion here, minimalizing is, is top on my list. So minimalizing not only to be kinder with, with our, our carbon footprint, but also to free up time and to free up energy, to do inner work, to heal, to connect with other people, to be out in nature, to do the things that really matter in our lives, right? I mean, these are the things we do for fun. And so I've tried to minimalize my life, minimalize my, my overhead so that I have resources available um, to, to be of service. And, and that's, that's what I do. So, so when we sacrifice, we're actually making something sacred, right? Making something sacred to create what's actually a more authentic life and a more enjoyable life and, and a life that 
I think we all know inside that that we sort of would want to live, right? People dream of of living like that. So there's a way to do that. You know, um, bringing up COVID, we we saw in the early days, right from the early days of COVID, that reducing our carbon footprint was actually doing a lot of good for the planet. We saw things return to states they haven't been for decades. People were able to see mountains where they couldn't see mountains. Dolphins were swimming in the canals in Venice. There were were these amazing changes going on in a pretty short order by reducing our carbon footprint and not not going out to the extent we were. Christy, I, I appreciate your bringing up the, the, the reduction in emissions that happened during the pandemic. And, you know, what, I was trying to follow that last year and into this year, and I, I, I haven't checked for what the, 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 the final word on that was, but I, you know, I, I think at the, the, the peak reduction of emissions was 6.4%. And I don't think that that, that that um, benchmark held, right? I think that we sort of, you know, fell off that. And by the end of the year, like it wasn't actually 6.4% or it might've been, or it's might've been reduced now. But anyway, whatever it was, it's sort of in the ballpark there. And I I just wanted to, to highlight that because the IPCC, the International Panel for Climate Change has said that to be on track with where we need to be with the Paris Accord, et cetera, and uh, reducing emissions through through 2030 and beyond, we have to reduce our carbon footprint collectively by 7.6% each year. And that's compounded each year. So it has to be on the gains that we make each year. And if we only hit 6.4% and Mamie didn't even keep 6.4% when the world was was shut down for you know good portions of the year, you know, we have a lot of work to do. And it's really, you know, part of the problem with the climate crisis is that our brains don't comprehend how significant it is and how much carbon is already in the atmosphere that we actually have to suck out of the atmosphere. So not only are we not stopping our carbon foot, you know, our, our carbon emissions now, but there's, I was just reading this morning an article um, sharing that, that, you know, as we ease out of this pandemic, you know, as most of the world does, India is not having a good time of it right now, but that, um, that that they're expecting a, a big boost in carbon output because of the, the economy having been slowed so much over the last year. So we just, we have a really long way to go and it's really important. You have to kind of go out of your way to, to try to fathom just how much carbon is out there and how much we have to reduce things. It is nothing short of an emergency. Do you Do you see us being able to do that? I appreciate that question. Let me just pause with that for a moment. No, I'm going to be honest. Um, I don't see us being able to do that. I don't. And it. And but my. I pause because it's it's not a black or white outcome or response. So I I don't see us doing enough. I think that the next ten years are going to be extremely telling. And, you know, people talk about collapse, people talk about extinction, people talk about, um, you know, the weather going going nuts, right, the climate. 
And I think there, there are degrees of all of that. And I think that, you know, my own morality just has to do whatever I can do um, because I love life. I love the planet. I love my nieces. I love children everywhere. And um, I think we're going to be very, very hard pressed to, to make this happen. Um, so, but, but it's important to do, it's important for me anyway, to do the right thing, regardless of the outcome. Yes. And you mentioned morality and I'm glad that you brought that up because I do, I do see this as a moral question. Are we willing to be moral question? Yes. Yes. Are we willing to, um, to make sacrifices for the greater good? Are we wanting to be selfish in, um, you know, not doing (laughs) this is a moral question, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just should I speak to that, to, to the morality thing? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think we all got a taste of, of where our collective humanity is at, you know, when, when crisis hits during the last year of this pandemic. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's not as, it didn't look as great, or it's not looking as great as many hoped, you know, that, that, that it would be like, we, we haven't behaved all that well. And the, the the pandemic is a is a is a trial run you know it's i call it the gateway to the climate crisis and it's really like our training wheels so the pandemic was kind of a cakewalk to what the 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 present portends you know of the future so you know that's just really grasping like like how big this thing is i mean all over the world there are millions of people already evacuating. There are 13 million people right now in Afghanistan who don't have food because of drought due to climate change. There, I read another article this morning or, or yesterday that, you know, a lot of the migration um, to the United States at the, at the southern border is because of refugees, you know, fleeing, you know, the, the climate change in their, you know, in their respective, you know, Latin countries. So... Um, you know, that, that the morality thing is, you know, so I, I don't want to go too far, but I'll, I'll just touch on this is that, you know, part of why I wrote the book is because it's really at, 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 at bottom, it's a book about how to care, right? That, I mean, that was my question. Like, why don't we care enough? And not only why don't we care enough, why don't we care even that we don't care enough, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. so, so, you know, just to outline that, you know, personal trauma, social injustice, modern day overwhelm, you know, heartbreak that we all experience. So, you know, financial difficulty, having to work, you know, two or three jobs. So there's, there's a lot of factors that make us handicapped. So there's that. And there's also that our brains evolutionarily, and I go into this in, some in the book, our brains are not wired to grasp such a global problem and one that's invisible to us. Right. 
right? That, that we see the effects of the climate crisis, but our brains don't say, oh, that's because of the invisible action of greenhouse gra- gases trapping heat, right? Like our brains don't say that. Right. So the climate crisis is really like the most insidious, you know, like monster, if you want to call it that, because it's invisible and, and it doesn't trigger us to to really be afraid and we really need to be afraid of it and 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 so let me just bring that into another context that that in the book you know like fear education and emotional intelligence around fear i think is one of the most crucial things that we need to do and we need to learn collectively and i think that fear is the primary emotion that has been running rampant and unreckoned and poorly understood by most people during the pandemic. And just briefly, there, there are two basic kinds of fear. There's reasonable, rational fear, right? So there's the coronavirus, and it's reasonable to fear that, right? Not to let your fear overtake your life, but it's reasonable to fear it and to take measures and wear your mask and social distance, etc. Then there's another kind of fear that's irrational fear, like standing up and speaking in front of an audience. And I think the psychologists say that that's a scarier thing to do um, than, than like, you know, having a near death experience, but it's not, but it's a re- an irrational fear. It's, it's real, but it's not really going to hurt you. Right. So we need right. to identify the things that can truly hurt us and then the things that can't truly hurt us and the things that can't truly hurt us, we need to challenge those so that we become bigger than our irrational fear. And then with the real fears, like the climate crisis, we need to reckon with that. We need to abide the real fears, right, so that we can take care of ourselves and protect ourselves and cause less death and suffering. So the book goes through all the major emotions, you know, anxiety, fear, depression, anger, hopelessness, grief, and grief work. And it and it's and it's very comprehensive in showing giving people the resilience tools to regulate their vessel, to regulate their body mind, and to be able to face what's scary, because if we don't face what's scary, then we're not going to be able to deal with it. So I wrote the book because I wanted to give people the inner tools, the inner tools to become the kind of person able to apprehend and to face difficulty because those, the difficulties that we face are not just going to go away on their own. And it requires all of us. And you and I spoke about Al Gore a bit ago. And, you know, Al Gore just sent out a message and he says, you need to stand up and you need to use your voice to lobby government. And that's one of the most important climate actions that we can do nowadays. That was a mouthful. I'm sorry. No, don't be. Um, So you do give people the tools in this book. Part of these are exercises. Can you talk a bit about the exercises that you give? Sure. (laughs) Um, I'll just tell a little brief, funny story. You know, when I was writing the book, Llewellyn, my publisher, they, um, they wanted me to do these exercises. And 
I was so tired of writing the book and working on the book and editing the book. And then they wanted me to do all these exercises for the book. And, you know, I sort of grudgingly, you know, the lights had to acquiesce in a sense. I could have said no and put my foot down, but, but I didn't, I began doing these exercises. And then I loved that they asked me to do the exercises because I realized how valuable they were. And by the end, I was writing for exercises for chapters that they didn't even want me to do exercises for. But I said there has to be consistency. So um, anyway, and I put a lot of attention and heart into the exercises. At first, I just wanted to kind of write them to, you know, just like, okay, I did your stupid exercises, right? But that that really wasn't the, the the final truth. I said, no, you know, you go back and and I really worked on the exercises. I took it to heart, and as soon as I realized how what a wonderful idea it was, um, I, I I I really embellished them. And the exercises really make the material personal. So there's a lot of psychoeducation in the book. Um, there's a lot of you know holistic medicine, self care stuff. And the exercises kind of really bring all that home. So it's not, the work really isn't that abstract, but, but it makes it personal, right? So that, so that you go through your own transformation, reading the book, and there's a guide, you know, holding your hand by way of the exercises. Oh, I love that. Absolutely. I, because I, I think until we make it personal, we don't really grasp that we can do something. Right. So I love that yep. you've included that. Mm-hmm. Now, tell me, have you always been this passionate about the climate and the environment? How did you, how did you become so passionate about it? Um, I, I touched on it earlier. Uh, because I practice natural medicine, my, my love of natural medicine came out of my love of being in the natural world and and living close to the elements and close to the land, which I have most of my adult life. Um, so realizing when I realized, you know, about 10 years ago, the, the urgency of the climate crisis and, and the magnitude of it, um, like I got that original hit. And then over the years, I've learned more about like, it's, it's like worse than I even thought it was in the beginning. So I just, you know, I, I felt that I had to do something about it. And I felt that I had to minister to the earth in the way that, that I felt gifted or, um, you know, privileged to, 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 to share and, and, and writing about the climate crisis has really brought together. I love to weave things together. My last name is Weber and I'm, I love to weave things. So, so the book just weaves a lot of different disciplines, you know, climate science, neuroscience, um, social science, cognitive science, um, mm-hmm. emotional depth work, deep ecology, yeah. poetry, um, some anthropology, uh, you know, activism. And so all these things are woven together to really offer something to, to people. And, and I think, you know, another one of the, the big sort of take homes about the book is or takeaways is, is that it's a book about integrity. It's about how to have 
integrity. And I think most of us walk around during the day, look at the things that we do sometimes, and certainly other people, we're good at finding faults in other people, right? The stupid things that people do and how little integrity seems to be left in humanity. And it's that integrity, you know, how can we create a healthy world if we're not healthy ourselves? Mm -hmm. And so it's, there's a lot of, you know, self-work in the book to, to build integrity, which, which means integration. I'm not into bypassing stuff. I'm into feeling things, dealing with things, wrestling with things. So they're integrated. So we become passionate, you know, courageous people who, who can care about what's in front of our faces and, and beneath our feet. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. So when you were a kid, Mm -hmm. you into this at all? When I was a kid, what? When you were a kid, was this important to you at all? Which part? The climate, taking care of it, being passionate about it. Now, I know when I was a kid, and I think we're about the same age, there were the PSAs about littering. Remember the Native American man who had a tear coming down his cheek when he saw the all of the pollution? That was kind of a... Um, books came out about Agent Orange, and uh, mm-hmm. it was the book was What Killed Cock Robin? Was that the name of the book? It was a very seminal book, came out in the early 70s about climate, and people really started getting it. I remember we, Silent, Silent Spring was a big was one by Rachel Carson. Yeah. yeah. Carson. Yeah. Rachel Carson. Yeah. Um, so as a kid, I don't know how, how young you mean, but, but no, like I was not into this stuff as a kid. Um, I didn't really know about the climate crisis as a kid. And, you know, I'm 53 now, so it was kind of a while ago. Um, so, but I did live close to nature. So I think that living a life close to nature you know, sowed the seeds for what I was later to become. We had, I grew up in Connecticut and my parents were professors at Wesleyan University. And we, we had these woods in, in our backyard and I spent so much time in those woods and I loved it. My father's very nature oriented. He's also a writer and a poet. And we would go out bird watching and spending time taking walks in the woods. And I think all that just grew me into a nature lover and, you know, I, I've never connected this, but, you know, in the book, there's a couple chapters on, 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 on our relationship with the natural world. And I include one study there that shows that children who are raised in natural environments and spend time in nature end up becoming more environmentally aware and more um, politically, you know, biased towards, uh, you know, eco-friendly politicians. So, for parents that are listening, you know, there are a lot of benefits for being in the natural world and, t- and taking your kids to the natural world and being there that, that are not obvious. There, there's so many lessons that we could spend the whole day talking about the lessons and the benefits in the natural world, but there are a lot. Right, absolutely. Um, in your book, you mentioned three different triangles. Triangle <laughs> of Resilience Relationship. Can you speak to that? Sure. You don't give me much breathing room in between questions, do you, Christy? <laughs> <laughs> Let me take one break. Let me just grab a bit of water. Absolutely. 
I love talking about this stuff, so I'm half joking. Um, so yeah, the triangle of resilience relationships, and it's a bit odd, like, you know, in a sense, each one is a triangle. And I sort of mentioned in the book that, that the three triangles sort of form a pyramid, right? Which is even stronger than a triangle. Um, but so they're triangles unto themselves, but I also describe them as like, you know, facets of the triangle and the triangle is the most, this is the strongest geometric structure. Right. Um, yeah. So the three, the, the triangle of resilience relationships are those relationships that we have um, allowed to deteriorate. And, and truly what, what all the relationships that have been taken away from us. So taken away from us in which we've also just allowed to deteriorate over time. And the, the, argument that i make or the you know the 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 healing paradigm that i present is that we need to reclaim these triangle of resilience relationships and there are three of them the first one is with ourselves and that's a lot of the self-work the inner work the emotional work the death and rebirth work the grief work Mm -hmm. um the how to become emotionally intelligent which is absolutely key right and, and then our relationship with the natural world and our relationship with one another. So building community, coming back together, working together as people, learning how to communicate, which requires emotional intelligence, cognitive intelligence, critical thinking skills, and, and compassion, and our relationship with the natural world. And, you know, I bring up this example often. I say that, you know, like actually being in nature, immersing yourself in wilderness is so important because that's the relationship we are wired to relate and to care about those things with which we interact personally in person and the, the so the examples like of a pet right um an animal it's part of nature so you know we care a lot more about the pets that we know and when someone's pet dies that we knew you know we feel that pain and we're connected to that pet and so someone's pet on the other side of the world that we don't know might feel a twinge of pain but because we're not directly related to it, it doesn't affect us as much so thankfully the pet of the natural world is all around us you know for a lot of people and even if you're in the city you could find ways to 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 connect with nature and i some of that's in the exercises in the book and and so we need to reestablish that relationship so that we care, right? That's part of that's part of the message of the book. And then the the um, uh, community building I mentioned, and then relationship with self. So just a quick quick little thing on that facet of the triangle. Um, just an overview of of what's discussed. Um, you know, how to manage and and mine anxiety how to work with fear, how to work with depression and anger. I think I may have mentioned those, you know, name those off before, but it's working with those, not just so that we manage them, right? It's so that those, those emotions are actually jewels. And I, and, and they birth what I call our finer jewels of being human. So that the qualities that, that we appreciate in people who are integrated, who have integrity, Right. And so integration means like dealing with the dark side and the difficult side, um, because if we don't do that, we're not going to have a livable future.
picture. So we have to deal with that dark side of life. And through the process of alchemy, through the process of inner transformation, which is the death, life, and rebirth cycle that I go through in the book, from that is birth the beautiful qualities that we appreciate. Anybody listening knows that if you've been through heartbreak, as everybody listening has been through some kind of heartbreak, you know, if you manage that heartbreak well and you engage in that heartbreak and you integrate it, you come out a better person. You come out more compassionate. You come out more yeah. self-knowing. You've seen some of your shadow. So this is like the cornerstone of the book. And then and this triangle of resilience relationships sort of are the context in which a lot of the other um, aspects of the book take take place like that's our support that's the the container of the alchemy that that we work with to become compassionate integrated you know human beings able to and i want i'll finish on this point i'm sorry i'm really on a roll today i enjoy you know sharing i enjoy your questions and i feel comfortable um i i want to point out that that i really focus on emotional work in the book because of four values. These four values are what emotional work allow us to do. Um, before I do that, I didn't bring another, another piece uh, th that I was saying to, to completion. And that's that, you know, when, when, we, when we face the climate crisis, it's a scary thing. It's a scary thing out in the world, and it makes us feel scared in here, right? And so the tendency is to shrink away. And I think that that's why we haven't done a lot collectively towards the climate crisis. There are lots of other reasons I mentioned, but one of them is fear. And we shrink away and we're afraid to feel badly. We're afraid to feel afraid and grievous and angry and overwhelmed and depressed. You, you, you name it. So what I share in the book is how to feel those emotions and how to welcome those emotions and manage them wisely with emotional intelligence so that we leverage them. So we turn a lose-lose, which is ignoring the climate crisis and shrinking away from what's difficult inside of us into a win-win, which is welcoming our full selves, learning how to deal with it, and welcoming the climate crisis. And then together, I say that the climate crisis and our own hurts and traumas intersect in our hearts. So when we remain heart-centered and courageous, right, our key word for, for today, when we remain courageous, we can, we can take advantage of and, and, and turn the lose-lose into a win-win, right? And that's what the book helps us do. So instead of humanity shrinking away, we step up to the plate and we heal ourselves, and we heal the planet, the subtitle of the book. And now to bring that other piece in to finish this little bit, the four things that emotional work really helps to do is it helps us heal our past, okay? Childhood wounds, past traumas. Doing emotional work helps us cope with the present, right? The difficulties that we have. We all experience a lot of difficult emotions during the pandemic, and they're certainly present for the climate change, for the climate crisis. So we're able to regulate ourselves and to feel better through the emotional work. 
By doing that, we're also able to face the climate crisis currently. So it allows us also to pay attention to and minister to what's injured. And then the fourth thing that emotional work helps us do is it helps us stop displacing and projecting, stop displacing and projecting our shadow onto the natural world. So one of the themes I bring up in the book is that hurt people hurt others. So when we don't deal with our pain, we hurt others. We displace and project our pain. So the book goes through grief work and, you know, learning how to deal with pain on different mind-body levels. And that's so that we don't project that onto the world. Support for the Radiate Wellness Podcast is made possible in part by listeners like you. Would you like to support this podcast? Visit radiatewellnesscommunity.com slash podcast for more information. I am reminded of another guest that has been on this podcast, and that is Sammy Aaron, who created The Resilient Activist and teaches people how to be more resilient, how to move through, you know, our, our fear or discomfort with what's going on. So um, I appreciate this work that you're, that you're doing to make us more resilient and more courageous in taking care of the planet, you know, just as we would take care of our bodies, ourselves, right? Um, I have to say, I would be rem- be uh, remiss if I did not mention your poetry. <laughs> <laughs> you you would be. <laughs> What's that? Because you're also a poet. Yes. And this book grew out of your poetry. It did. Did did I did I share that earlier? On 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 the sh- on the show here, did I mention that? Or? Briefly, I want to circle briefly. back. Briefly, that briefly in passing. In passing, yeah. So I wanted to talk about your your poetry, which is central to your work as well. Right. Okay. <laughs> Keep going. You began. It sounds like you began your work on climate uh climate healing with with poetry yeah in a a sense in a sense you know poetry for me poetry for me has been a healing practice so when i am worked up about something or you know when i have to journal and vent or when I have to just share my my thoughts and feelings, you know, I'll often write a poem about it. And I also use poetry to discover what I don't know I'm dealing with. So sometimes I'll begin a poem and then stuff comes out that I didn't even know was there. Um, so, yeah, I started writing poems when, I mean, I've been writing poems for 30 years. And but I, I began a certain kind of poetry when I became more aware of the climate crisis. And so though that's the collection that I just mentioned. I think I mentioned at the beginning of the show um, about rebirth. You and I talked earlier, so I'm forgetting what you and I talked about and you know and what, what I mentioned on the show. So that that collection rebirth just I just released it today and it's it's beautiful. Um 
And uh, yeah, so that collection of poems is sort of a collection for in in honor of the the, the planet and and that also speak to the climate crisis and the pollution okay. crisis. And rebirth, you um, you you published it as an ebook, right? Uh, and it's available on your website, right? Right, and um, came out in time for Earth Day, which is exciting. Of course, the this podcast will drop well after Earth Day, but honestly, every day can be Earth Day. Every day is Earth Day. I said that on my Facebook post, and people say that. I say, but today is especially Earth Day, so do do something special. Oh, absolutely. Well, and you also said that you had received a re, uh, an award before we started recording. You talked to me about an award that you had gotten in honor of Earth Day. Yeah, it, it was an award. It was an honor. My book was chosen um, by this group, Edelweiss, uh, as an Earth Day pick. And the theme of their Earth Day symposium was our actions, our Earth, and how to care for the planet. So that's what my book is about. So I was on a podcast early in the morning. Um, I don't like doing podcast. I don't like talking for like the first hour of the morning, but you know, so, so today, today, I, you know, I did that out of my, out of my comfort zone, which is, which right. is par for the course. And it, and it was wonderful. A lot of other um, really interesting authors there. And, and uh, so I got to hear some, some new stuff and, and share about climate cure as well. Yeah, oh, that's exciting. Yeah, so getting up and speaking early in the morning is one of your sacrifices. So we talked about small that. sacrifice. Yeah, it was just sort of being tongue in cheek. Absolutely. Do you uh, do do you, do you want to hear a poem? I would love to hear a poem. You have one ready? You, you want to do that now, or you want to do that later? You tell oh, me. Well, let's let's do it now. Okay. Poem. All right. Let me. I'm sure I can read and everyone can see me at the same time. All right. Uh, <clears throat> the title of the poem is Earth on Your Sleeve. Earth on Your Sleeve. If you are an activist, if you are an activist, a lover of this sparkling world, show me the dirt under your fingernails. I have some under my fingernails today. <laughs> Show me the dirt under your fingernails where you have dug beneath the filth of big business into the clear ground of sharing. Where you have dug mulch, manure, and your own blood into the drip line around the orchard trees. Where you have unearthed the heartaches of your past and passed them slowly along the lifeline of your open palms so your body could come alive again as a teeming forest and mountain stream. Show me how you have passed up an easier life. Show me how you have passed up an easier life to squeeze some sustainable gold from your secret pockets for the last indigenous flooded from their lands. Their rivers run dark with the residue of crude. Don't show me. Don't show me the clean white pages of your resume, your steam press work shirts lacking these sacred stains, or your neatly kept home and bleached countertops for all the ways you have washed your hands of birthing back the giving ground from which you've gained, unless 
you also wear Gaia's passions on your sleeve. Mm. Mm. That is powerful. Jessica, I really like that. Um, you know what? It reminds me, and I was going to tell you this earlier, it reminds me of the poem Invitation by Shel Silverstein. Do you know him? Yeah. Yeah. If you are a dreamer, come in. If you are a dreamer, a wisher, a liar, a hoper, a prayer, a magic bean buyer, if you're a pretender, come sit by my fire. We have some flax golden tails to spin. So, yeah, um, reminds me very much of that poem, drawing, drawing in the people who are willing to roll up their sleeves, get their fingers dirty. I've got paint on my fingers because that's what I've been doing lately. But that's good. That that counts as that counts as dirt. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> yeah. And and uh, that, that poem is from that poem is from Rebirth. That's from the new collection. Wonderful. Released just today as an ebook. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I love that you released that in a in a carbon neutral way, in a you know, ecologically responsible way. Did you do that yeah. by design? Yeah, for right now, that's that's the way it is. You know, there's so many books, and, and books are wonderful and amazing. And I just, you know, I, I I take I take the issue seriously about like you know using resources. You know, resources they're they're not really resources. They're part of our our planet and part of our soul. But um, so yeah, so it's just an ebook for now. Maybe I'll print maybe a hundred copies or something like that. But I'm I'm just you know trying to keep it keep it low carbon right now. Right, and you also have uh, your poetry available on note cards and art cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's that? About? <laughs> um, that was just a way for me. I I produced those a while ago, and I still enjoy them. People still enjoy them. They're they're you know poignant, meaningful poems that are on, that are on cards and, you know, like greeting cards, so you can send one to somebody, you know, the, the old fashioned way, instead of an email, you can write a card to hand to somebody or for a birthday or a special occasion or send it in the mail. So, um, yeah, so it's sort of just keeping alive that, that tradition of, of how we did things before the, the digital age was as full on as it is today. Right. And, and those, those, uh, those cards, I have them in theme sets. There's one on surrender, on transformation, on love, on work and calling and on writing and creativity and one on, uh, holistic medicine. Oh, wonderful. Yes. I love it. Yes. Okay. So talk to me about this natural medicine. You've mentioned it a few times. So I would really love for our listeners to be able to know more about that. Okay. Um, well, that's a big subject, <laughs> but yeah. I, I practice Chinese medicine, and Chinese medicine is comprised of four primary modalities. Um, one is acupuncture. Second is herbal medicine. The third is um, like qigong and meditation, mind body exercises for for health and well being, and the last is um, diet therapy. Mm. So, you know, as a Chinese medicine um healer physician i you know i work with patients and we talk about 
um, you know, people come to me with, with all kinds of problems that they'd ordinarily go to, you know, a Western doctor for. And often I have to interpret, um, you know, Western medicine uh, documents and tests and, and whatnot. And so we um, create a treatment plan for uh, for working with whatever their ailment is in it in a natural way. So, you know, I don't dispense drugs or anything like that. And we usually give it our best shot. And if I feel like I can't give it a best shot or they need um, different kind of care, then uh, then I refer them to to uh, a Western physician or wherever they need to go. Mm-hmm. How long have you been doing this work? Oh, boy. Um, you know, I've... I think I was 19 years old when I first took an interest in herbalism and Tai Chi and my holistic healing interests, you know, just grew from there. So I was a yoga teacher. I practiced Tai Chi for many years. I used to practice yoga for hours a day um, for many years. So I'd say from 19, I was studying um, Western herbalism at the time. And then I took a course with Michael and Leslie Tierra, some of my first herbal teachers, and was introduced to Ayurveda and Chinese medicine. And the Tierras live up in uh, Santa Cruz, Ben Loman, um, up in uh, Northern California. And I studied with them and did their um, course in uh, in um, East-West uh, medicine. And then that kind of, you know, got me steeped in, in holistic medicine. And I went and did a I was, I was a massage therapist as well. I did a shiatsu training, which is an oriental style of um, massage. And I did that and got a little introduction into Chinese medicine. And then, you know, I was also studying Ayurveda at the time. And um, so I got into Chinese medicine, uh, you know, especially because it was licensed. It was further along here than Ayurveda. I think I probably would have studied Ayurveda if it were licensable here in the United States, but I ended up really loving Chinese medicine. And it's like, just now it's just part of my, my, my being. So I've been practicing as a licensed acupuncturist, licensed Chinese medicine person for about 20, 20 years, but I was apprenticing before then. And so it's, it's been going on for my adult life. Great. And so you move very seamlessly then into this self-care, resiliency, emotional support with the climate cure. Um, have you, right. Yeah, you've written some articles about climate cure. Have you worked on any bo- other books about the climate? I haven't worked on any other books about the climate. This, the climate cure, just going to give a little, a little show here. Yeah. You know, climate cure, I, I, I worked on for six years. Um, so I do have a book that I actually wrote when I was in graduate school in Chinese medicine university. Um, it's unpublished. I never released it. And the title is healing between the lines. So it's, it's a bit of a, of a, a, um, a precursor to, to, to climate cure. And, you know, my poetry has aspects of climate cure and especially the new collection rebirth um, so no, I've never like written a, a, another prose book per se, but I do have a sequel to Climate Cure that that I'm already working on. So 
it's uh i just had too much to say for the amount of pages that that i was that i was given so some of that writing has gone into a sequel i've been sort of um working on that oh wonderful and you do have poetry in the climate cure yeah there there are a few poems in there there's like four poems or something and i had to fight for every one of them with the publisher (laughs) (laughs) they they didn't want them in there and and i said I said, it's part of the work. It's really important. And it gives readers a nice break. And every reader that I, you know, shared advanced copies with really appreciated the poetry. And so I, was, I made sure I let the publisher know about that feedback from readers. <laughs> well, I feel it brings the heart back into it. You know, yeah, no, it does. It's, you know, it's like the exercises that make it personal, right? It's like mm-hmm. poems really really kind of bring all the the work together and and infuse the work with with heart and you know compassion and passion absolutely no i can't imagine this book without poetry good (laughs) feels integral (laughs) exactly absolutely now um if somebody wanted to visit your website would you like to plug it Sure. I, you know, you know, I designed my website so it could be really user friendly. So all my work is at my website and I don't think it's overwhelming. Um, My blog is at my website. I really, I really cherish the blog um, because I write, you know, I post something there usually weekly or so, at least weekly. And and I bring a lot of the concepts that are in Climate Cure and my other work into current events. So I usually write about current events. Sometimes I just write articles um, or blog posts on, you know, mind-body integration or, um, you know, and, and these are like, these are, a lot of these are, are, are a bit challenging because I introduce concepts that are not typical and that, that I, you know, in my my bio, I, I'd say that I challenge readers to think outside the box. So you'll find that there. You'll find my articles that have been published, um, the videos, and my, you know, my books, my cards, my artwork, uh, some herbal formulas that I have that I developed actually for, for the pandemic. Um, so yeah, so that the, the website is, is user-friendly and it's, uh, should, should I mention the name, or you want to mention the name? Or? Go ahead, please. It's just my name, Jack Adam Weber, and Weber's with one B dot com. JackAdamWeber dot com. Yeah, um, you can even um, sign up for coaching. So you offer. Oh, that's right. On a variety <laughs> of. To- that's, I know you do so many things. I know. I forget. <laughs> Yeah, so I offer life coaching, and mm-hmm. sometimes that that overlaps with you know Chinese medicine consultations, holistic medicine consultations. But I do do coaching, just you know, mainly for for lifestyle stuff, difficulties people are experiencing, you know, mm-hmm. change of lifestyle, people who feel stuck, people that want to learn how to minimize minimalize their life and and make that work, um, relationship stuff. Yeah, finding meaning and purpose, relationship issues and heartbreak, and then climate and pandemic stress. Big topic right now, my gosh. Right, 
And Sherry, I just want to say that that my editor at Llewellyn went, and you know, other readers since since her, you know, when she was editing the book, she says, I'm so, she just wrote me an email one day. She says, I'm so glad that you've written this at this time because this is helping me cope with the pandemic. And it's something I forget to say that this book is is like, I don't know, it's a Bible of sorts. It's like a Bible for the inner life. And it's something that that will last a lifetime. There's so much, so many pearls in this book. And it will help anybody through any kind of crisis, any kind of heartbreak, loss, you know, overwhelming experience. So it's not just for the climate, but it does focus on the climate. But there, you know, all the chapters on anxiety, fear, anger, um, uh, grief, you know, those those apply across the board to all aspects of life. And we're going to need these resilience tools as you know today, and as we move into um, a bit of a scary future. Yes, absolutely. You know, what I like about your work is that it empowers people, empowers readers. We feel so hopeless. You know, I am just one person and the planet is so big and this is such a big problem. What can one person do? The answer is quite a lot. Right. Yeah, quite a lot. And and I'd say that the, that kind of support is what the book is about, right? It's about, it's really a book about how to just engage with life, how to live yourself a fuller life, and to participate in the work that we need to do as humanity. And And by the time that you get to that quote-unquote work, it's fulfilling, it's passion, it's creative, it's fun it's it's you know getting together with other people it's networking um it's create reestablishing those relationships that make us beautifully human yeah you know mr rogers (laughs) i love him he said that whenever there's a big crisis or an emergency or something and children are frightened and looking to um, you know, like what, what is going on, what is happening? Um, he said, his mother always said, look for the helpers. There's always mm-hmm. helpers. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that is very empowering. And your, your book is a manual, a how to for the helpers. Yeah. So that we can be the helpers. Yes. Well, well stated. <laughs> And I think of Greta Thunberg, mm-hmm. you know, I love her too. She's wonderful. And how, yeah. <laughs> okay. I feel like we're in good hands with her and she's what, 15? 18, 18 now. Oh my God. Time she's get, getting to be, she's a, she's a young lady now. Good for her. Hopefully she runs for office, but mm-hmm. um I feel like anybody who's as passionate as she is needs to read this book and needs to see what they can do. Be nice if, if Greta read it. I, I, I mean, I have, I mentioned Greta throughout the book and, you know, she suffered from depression. I've suffered from depression and, um, I, she has suffered from OCD. I suffer from OCD. Um, and so I, 
some of the stories that she talks about, I, I really appreciate. And she mentions, you know, I, I'm not autistic, but, um, but she is on, on the spectrum or where is it? Asperger's. No, it's Asperger's. Um, and, and, you know, I feel that certain aspects of myself, my own sensitivity have, have been gifts, um, to be able to write the book. A lot of what I share in the book is stuff that I've lived through myself. And I'm a really passionate researcher. I'm really in the science. And so, um, yeah, so Greta, Greta is a, a mind-blowingly amazing person. And I just want to add that, yes, we're in good hands with her, but we all have to pitch in. You know, we can't just, you know, let, let Greta do this. And, and I feel pain all the time. I work with um, the youth regularly here in Ojai, where I live, for climate activism. We're out on the streets and demonstrating, going to city council and stuff. And, you know, it's always bittersweet for me because I love empowering the the youth and and hearing from them. And I, I mean, I just give my complete being to them as, as much as they're willing to, to be present for it. But it's also bitter because, like, it's just sad that they, as children, are out there having to do this. And it's sad and and tragic that Greta Thunberg has to do what she has to do and how she has to speak to grown adults to get them to listen. You know, it's so we all really need to pitch in, like, you know, like, Al Gore was was sharing just in this email that I mentioned. So each one, reach one, each one, we can each one of us do something, whether it's recycling, not using plastic straws. I mean, we can all do something. We don't have to feel yeah. overwhelmed. Yeah, and and I do, you know, even though this book is mostly about becoming how to become the kind of person that's ready to do these things because um you know the, the the book was born out of the question like why aren't we doing enough you know why don't enough people care and so the book is about how to care how to become the kind of person that will do the obvious thing we i think by now most of us know if we're half a bit aware like the things that we need to do, you know, we need to drive less, we need to stop using as much plastic, we need to not consume as much stuff, right? You know, we need to be mindful about our lawn equipment and not use gas powered leaf blowers, which are the, you know, my nemesis. And, you know, so they're, you know, these are, these are mostly obvious things, but people still do them a lot. And you know, to a degree, we have to because we live in a system that you know, we have to drive to work. A lot of us have to drive to work, et cetera. But to really get a bit radical, and we have to get radical. If we don't get radical, we're not going to make it out of this thing. So this book is a bit radical about, and radical means root, just like, you know, sacrifice comes from sacred. You know, radical means root. It's like going to the root, how to become a kind of person that creates healing in the world from the inside out and doesn't see sacrifice as like something is being taken away from you, but it's an opportunity to grow into a richer, newer, more authentic life and also create a world that's livable for the, for the ones behind us. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think it's 
this COVID chapter has taught us anything is that we can think outside of the box and create new ways of being, of working, of relating. We don't need as much stuff. We don't need to run as many errands as we think we do. We don't need to hop in the car as much as we, we thought we did. Um, so perhaps in that way, or we're maybe turning a page. I think companies are realizing that they don't have to have this huge overhead. People can work from home. There is, there is some positive change. And there's also, like I mentioned earlier, there's a great momentum now to kind of make up for, you know, the economic and production losses. So I don't think that we've learned a whole lot during the pandemic and maybe it'll take a bit of time for those lessons to kind of sink in. You know, sometimes you learn a lesson, but you don't really act on it. And then a little while later when you're, you know, when it's sunk in to a certain degree or you're confronted with something, it's like, oh yeah, like that was the lesson in there. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't put, a lot of trust right now in humanity having learned very many lessons yet. I think that we've um, behaved on the whole rather poorly and that we can do a lot, lot better. And I think that the foundational, the foundational education really that I offer in the book is, is like how to become a person of integrity. And I think that that's what it means. It's like how to care in the face of something that's not well, right? It's, it's, that's, that's the medicine of, of the book and our predicament now. Right, absolutely. And while we might not each see or feel the effects of this climate crisis, because you know, you go from day to day, the weather is tolerable, things are tolerable, things are okay. It's like the old adage of cooking a frog and the mm -hmm. frog doesn't notice how hot the water is getting until it's too late. So how do you, how do you make these people care about something when they're not seeing the problem yet? You know, and so teaching people how to care in that way. Yeah. Yeah, the trick is you got to like not make them care. Like nobody can be like forced into caring really, right? And the the, the analogy of the frog is in the introduction to the book. Mm -hmm. And the book's an invitation, really. It's, it's like if you want to live a life that you think is more full and passionate and purposeful, and at the end of your life, you want to look back on what you did in your life and what really mattered – and, and you want to be able to answer to children and to grandchildren, you know, of your own or just in general, um, now's the time to start reckoning with like what kind of person we all want to be. Uh, yeah, and, and the, I appreciate your bringing up the, the invisible aspect of the crisis again. And I also talk about that in the book. I think it's chapter one or maybe the introduction and I, I mentioned that, again, it's that, you know, we don't see the effects of climate change. We, you know, our brains are wired to react and to feel fear for something that we know, like charging out of the bushes, you know, if a bear comes out of the bushes right. or whatever, like that's fear. We get that. 
Right. But our brains are not are not wired, right? Because it's not part of our history to release carbon to the degree that we have. Like we're doing something brand new in evolution. Um, you know, these processes have has has have happened previously. I mean, and they're now attributing some of the mass extinctions previously to methane releases and, and climate change in the past, but it wasn't human driven. Now it's human driven. But we don't, we, you know, so we're not calibrated to this. So the invisible forces of climate change um, are similar to the invisible forces inside ourselves that generate the sickness that's on the planet, right? Or the imbalance that's on the planet. So this is a book in tribute to the invisible things in our lives and in our world. And those invisible things are inside of us that cause us to act and decide and do things the way they do, the way we do them, and to create the invisible forces in the world and in the atmosphere that are threatening to do away with us. Yeah, absolutely. And then you take into account the, the, the delay. So we might have uh, more tornadoes these days, for example, worse storms, but we don't make the connection between that and the consumption, overconsumption that had right. been taking place before because there's, there's this delay action. So right. it's... Um, feels sometimes like a, an uphill battle, but your book tackles that. Sherry, it's a very uphill battle. We not only have all the cognitive biases, right? I've just mentioned a couple during our conversation here. The cognitive biases, the emotional, you know, resistance to dealing with it, the material resistance to doing. I mean, we are behind the eight ball in every way for dealing with the climate crisis. And it's why in the book early on, I mentioned that we have to go out of our way. We have to go out of our way to deal with it. We have to go out of our way to learn about it, right? So just like choosing to read an article about the climate crisis or um, the environmental crisis is is a choice, right? And, and what is it? What is it that causes a person to say, okay, today I'm going to read about the climate crisis and I'm going to learn something versus reading about, you know, what, what, whatever it is, something less important. And so, so you can see that, that I, I really, I've, I've tried to go to the root of what it is about us as human beings that causes us to do something that's meaningful and purposeful versus just distract and, and, and avoid. And that's, that's, that's the pivot point right there. And that happens inside of us. And there's a line that I mentioned in the introduction that I, that I often repeat, and I've memorized it by now in the line is please consider, please consider that 75% of the battle to be climate aware and to act in ways that matter, 75% of the battle occurs between our deep hearts and our first steps in the world. In other words, it's an inner job. Mm 
Okay, so I'm saying that all these forces that are inside us, before we even take the first step in the world, we've already decided who we are, how we're going to act, the decisions we're going to make, and, and that happens inside of us, you know, from external cues, yes, but we synthesize all that, and then we respond to the world in a way that's, that's, that's on a spectrum of, of being part of the problem or being part of the solution, right? And that's a spectrum. And that, that needle needs to tip a lot more um, on the side of solution. And that's what I try to share and to teach. Empowering the reader to come up with a solution rather than just focus on the problem. So, well, Jack Adam Weber, thank you so much for being on this little podcast and taking the time to talk to me about <laughs> important work. Um, I really appreciate our conversation. Yeah, you are a lovely person, and it's been so comfortable just to interact with you and the, the feeling I get from you. And so thank you for creating a wonderful space to share meaningful work. It's, it's, it matters to me. Thank you. It matters to me too. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Mm-hmm. Radiate Wellness is a community of holistic and alternative healers and consultants based in the Kansas City area dedicated to helping you create spiritual, energetic, and physical well-being. To learn more about our practitioners, services, classes, and events, or to schedule an appointment, visit us at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.